Mark chapter 9, verse 35 is where we'll be this morning as we continue our sermon series. I am a church member, and let me say what a wonderful job our choir did this morning on the choir special during the offertory, and Micah is going to be having a preview of the Christmas music September 13th, so... um, going to have a Christmas party to reveal that music, so you be um, thinking about if you're not a part of the choir right now and you'd like to be a part of the Christmas music, know that on September 13th they're going to have a, an unveiling of that music and have a Christmas party, so uh, you be making plans to be a part of that. I am a church member this morning. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. I've talked to several of you through this week as you're reading through the book with us and keeping up with the sermons, and I appreciate the encouraging comments and things that you've said about the book, about the sermons, and I appreciate your prayers as we go through this series of sermons to strengthen ourselves individually as believers and followers of Jesus so that we can make this whole body stronger and reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, how many of you can uh, relate to having selfish, demanding children? Don't You don't all have to raise your hand at one time. (laughs) My parents. (laughs) If I could get a deacon to usher them out, please. Thank you for that vote of confidence. I can remember when my boys were younger and we would be going places and uh, there would be these arguments from the back seat and we'd be deciding what we were going to do and one of them would always have to say, well, why do we do what, why do we always do what he wants to do or why do we always go where he wants to go and then there would be this argument developed between the two of them and then we would go somewhere sometimes and then you're dealing with... um, an adult who's the same way because Bree would then say, why do we always get to go where they want to go? Why do we always go where they want to go? And why do we always do what they want to do? So um, I got it from both sides. Children can be selfish and demanding. Adults can be selfish and demanding. But sometimes as church members do we ask the same question. Why does this group always get to do what they want? Why does this group always get their way? And so this morning... We look and we are talking about church and preferences. And in the middle of page 34 in the book that Tom Brainer wrote, he makes a profound statement about church membership. He says, the strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. Don't get me wrong, there may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you are there to meet the needs of others, you are there to serve others, You are there to give. You are there to sacrifice. So, our sermon text this morning, Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus says these words to his 12 disciples. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, uh, leading up to this statement, there had been an argument among the twelve. They had been traveling to Capernaum, 
And Jesus noticed that all of a sudden they had gotten quiet. And so he asked them the question about what they had been discussing, although he already knew what they had been discussing. And there had been an argument, argument between them about who was the greatest in the group, the greatest in the group of 12. And here's the odd thing about that is they had the greatest example of humility and servanthood right in front of them, and yet they missed what Jesus was doing here. So I want to get through these first two points pretty quickly because the third point is where the heart of the matter is this morning. But first of all, we look at the servant motif. Motif is the recurring theme in all of Jesus' teaching. And the word servant occurs 57 times in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we also see the word serve 58 times. Serve is work, service is work that is done for other people or for God and the worship of God. I saw a great example of this yesterday as 45 men and boys came here to the church along with five women and there was uh, 25 different jobs completed here in our church and in houses around the communities where people simply gave up their Saturday morning for four hours and went to uh, and served other people. If you notice in the back here, things are really coming to shape. A lot of work was done there yesterday, but it's a great example of people giving service. Last Sunday, one of my friends who works at Jack's was here, and she read in our worship guide that there was a need here in one of our ministries called Moms and Miracles. She went back to Jack's on Monday morning and she took that worship guide and she told, showed all the ladies there about what was going on here in our church. And later on in that week, there were three big bags of, of things that uh, new moms need that were put into our office and, and yesterday put in our Moms and Miracles closet because someone saw an opportunity to serve and they took that opportunity to serve and did something with it. Service at its best is worship. When we are serving and we are serving in the right attitude and with the right heart and spirit, it is complete worship in what we're doing. Um, Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we should give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so we see that as we serve. Jesus said that we must be servant to all. And when he met, said the word all, he included every person that we encounter. And what we have to realize is that as we go about our day, as we go about our life, as we go about our work, or as we go through school, every other person that we meet is more important than we are as individuals. Every other person that we meet, that's the mind and development of Christ there, is that every other person deserves our service before we deserve theirs. Now, the closest followers of Christ are having a me-first fight. They're, they're all up in arms about which one of them is the greatest. Now, there's 12 of them probably here this morning. There's a little bit, probably around 325 people all together on campus. What makes us think that we would be any different in a group this large that there wouldn't be sometimes an opportunities for the devil to get involved 
and want us to put ourselves as first. Serving others is real leadership. When we serve, that's when we are really leading. I want to tell you, I would not hire a minister in this church who wouldn't be willing to scrub toilets or sweep and mop floors if that's what the week called for. I would want them to model service in any single way that they could, it, no matter what the situation would be. And a real leader has a servant's heart. Servant leaders appreciate others' worth and realize that they're not above the job. You know, the employers that I remember the most are not maybe the employers who paid me the most, but the employers who were there, the bosses that I had who were shoulder to shoulder with me when, when the job was overwhelming and when the job was uh, very physical and there, and there was a lot of demands. It were those bosses who would come out of an office and who would be willing to lift boxes or pack parts or do whatever it took to get everybody caught up. Those are the bosses that I remember the most. I heard someone say um, this past week about um, someone they were working for and they were kind of uncertain about them at first, but they said, you know, I saw them sweeping the floors and I knew then that they were the kind of person that I wanted to work for. Um, Jesus is teaching us here that we shouldn't approach life expecting a high position or an honor or special privileges. He says that we should live life looking for ways to help other people. Now, Jesus is not attacking being a leader. He's not attacking a leadership position. But he's showing the way in which these roles should be exercised. He gives the, these statements here. He says, as the last and servant of all. This principle is exemplified in Jesus himself. Because Mark 10, 45 will tell us that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now here's a, a great thing to remember here in this first point is this. Jesus is always chief. Jesus is always first. And when we remember that and when we make that a part of our life, his example provides the standard for his disciples in whatever secondary role they might exercise in the kingdom of God. I'm the pastor. It says on the door down here, lead pastor. But you know who's really in charge here or who better be in charge here? Jesus better be in charge here. I better never let the fact that it says lead there in front of, uh, in front of pastor get in the way of Jesus Christ being first in this church. Because here's the deal. When Jesus is first, I am functioning at my best. When Jesus is first in my life, that's when I'm functioning at my best and when everything else in my life is leading uh, the way that it should. Paul said we must be servants as well. In Ephesians 3, 7, he makes this statement. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. I was made a servant by a gift. By a gift of God's grace, I was made a servant. And it was through the power of God that I'm able to live this life. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving everyone else. Now, Tom Rayner talks about a survey that he did about inwardly focused churches. And I'm going to hurry through this because there's a lot of points and I'm not going to hit all of them, but I do want to make some mentions 
of some of these because if you read the book, you know that these are important things to look at. If a church is looking inward, then they are dying and declining. And these are some of the examples as Tom Rainer has probably studied 50,000 churches in his career. Here are the things that he said are hindering these churches most of all. First of all is the obvious one in our Southern Baptist life, worship wars. I remember in 2000 when I became a full-time uh, member um, on the team here, ministry team, and we decided that we were going to go to a blended worship service. And so we got someone from the Alabama State Board of Missions to come up and sit down and talk to us about transitioning to being a blended worship service, Dale Huff. And I'll never forget the words that Dale Huff told us there that day as he looked at our, our ministry team and he said these words, if you go to a blended service, you're giving two groups of people an opportunity to be mad at you every Sunday. And he was right. <laughs> but here's what I know about worship. I know that I've been to an Acquire, a fire, uh, an Acquire the Fire event at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. And I know that I was there in a, in a group with 10,000 teenagers. And I know that right before the main speaker came to the stage, they dimmed the lights and they put the words to, oh, the wonderful cross on the screen. And I listened to those 10,000 students in a cappella voices raise their voices and sing praises to Jesus in a way that I never had heard before. And I tugged the shirt of the person sitting next to me, which was probably Dennis Ragsdale. And I said, Dennis, you know, these kids have no idea that that's a hymn. They have no idea that that's a hymn. All they know is that it glorifies God and it is teaching them about what Jesus did for them on the cross and all they want to do is praise the Lord through this song. And if that were our attitude every time that we come to this uh, sanctuary, every time that we come to this place, if that were our attitude if it weren't whether or not we're going to sing something about a hill song or Jesus culture or whether or not we're going to sing the Gaither vocal band or none of that, it was just whether or not we're going to glorify God and praise Jesus. What a wonderful place it would be. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, I give Micah now, I give him my sermons a month in advance. He knows that in October we're going to have a five-week sermon series about heaven. And he already knows to be looking for songs that will teach us about heaven through the sermons that I'm going to be giving him. That's our goal is to sing songs that teach. And if those songs are through praise and worship, or those praise songs, or if those songs are through hymns that are 500 years old, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to glorify God. Another thing was prolonged minutiae meetings. I used to have this view of meetings when I was working at Federal Mogul. I would see these men who would walk past me and I'd see them going to the conference rooms and they all had their cups of coffee and their, you know, their nice dress slacks and everything and they'd be walking there and going into those meetings and I'd be standing there working, sweating hard, you know, and I'd think, boy, I wish I was one of those people who get to go to the meetings. Oh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I want to tell you all something as your pastor from the bottom of my heart. I hate meetings. I hate meetings. 
Because so many times, here's what we do as Baptists. We see something that could be solved in five minutes. It could be solved in one five-minute conversation, and here's what we do with it. We hand it off to a committee to go and die. I hate meetings. Too much time in meetings, and so many times I sit in those meetings thinking, what does this have to do with winning souls? Paul Harper has taught me this, and I'm going to try to stick to it. Paul, in every meeting that I've ever been with Paul, Paul has an agenda that he hands out at the beginning of the, minute, at the, the meeting. It says what we're going to talk about, and it says what time we're going to be finished, and he sticks to it. So I'm going to try to learn how to do that. Then we have, he talked about facility focus. I worked with a man one time who attended a large Baptist church in another county, and he gave a good large sum of money to buy a piece of equipment for the church to go into their gym that they had. And he came to work that next week. They had brought the piece of equipment. They had set it up. People were using it. And he was having an ungodly fit because they did not put a plaque on the piece of equipment with the fact that he donated the money for it. And I thought to myself, if, you, if that was your attitude when you gave it, you shouldn't have gave it. Too many times we have iconic status about our facilities. We protect and preserve rooms, um, pieces of, of, of equipment, other visible parts of the church's building and grounds. Dale, uh, Daniel Edmonds, uh, who is over Sunday school in the uh, State Board of Missions, told me one time that he went to a church and he went to a Sunday school room. The pastor asked, me, asked him, what do I do about this Sunday school class? He said he went into that class and there were a row of chairs and the ladies had embroidered their names on the chairs in their Sunday school room. And Daniel Edmonds said he closed the door and he said, Pastor, don't bother these women. And he didn't. Program driven. Here's the question that we should begin asking is this. Every ministry that we do, why are we doing what we're doing? What are we accomplishing? And could it be that we're doing it just because we've always done it? An inwardly focused budget. I'm so glad that we support the cooperative program the way that we do, and we support missions. And I'm so glad there are so many churches now who've just completely made their budgets about their and their campus and those things, and we haven't done that. An inordinate demand for pastoral care. Let me say this. Every church member deserves care and concerns, especially in times of need and crisis. But I want to say this, too. There's one of me. And I'm, I'm, I try my best to cover those needs, but sometimes I can't get to them all. And some church members have unreasonable expectations. If your cousin in Mustang, Mississippi, is having their wisdom teeth cut out, and they have a pastor, and they are a Christian, please don't expect me to get in a car and drive to Mustang, Mississippi to go pray for them. Some, some churches view their pastor as a concierge or a cruise director who's there to uh, meet those needs. And that's one of the inward-focused things. Greater concern about change than the gospel. The concern over the changes that are happening in the church are greater than the concern over the lost who we might reach by changing. And in evangelistic apathy, care more for personal needs than for the eternal destiny of people in their community. So, 
those are some things there in that chapter that he talked about with churches and some of the uh, ways that they can be inwardly focused. I'm glad that most of those don't apply to Piedmont First Baptist. But here's where I want to get to is the mind of Christ. And this is the attitude that we all should embody, which is the attitude of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5. And listen to these words as Paul describes the mind of Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, right there in verse number 5 through 11 are five sermons, I guarantee you. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to preach all five of them this morning. But there is some of the greatest theology on the incarnation of Jesus Christ right there in verses 5 through 11 in the whole scripture. It sums it all up. But there's a major simple point that's made here. And that is this. We should have the attitude of Jesus Christ we should humble ourselves and consider the interest of others more than ourselves. We should have oneness of mind, and we should be imitators of Christ Jesus. Dale Huff, uh, I'm sorry, Dale Huff. Tom Rayner asked the question here, what did Jesus do? Several years ago in our youth ministry, there were a lot of people who went around with the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, and they asked that question. And we decided in the youth ministry that we were going to begin to ask the question, what did Jesus do? We wanted to know the scripture so well that we didn't ask what would Jesus do, but we would say what did Jesus do, and then we would do it. So to live worthy of the gospel, here's how Jesus lived. We must live in harmony with one another, demonstrating Christ's attitude of unselfishness, humility, and self-sacrifice. Look at these examples of Jesus. In the scriptures here, he says, He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Now think about this. It's a remarkable thing. Christ did not imagine that having equality with God, which he, had all, he already had possession thereof. He didn't think that that should lead him to hold on to his privilege at all costs. It was not something to be grasped and held on to or to be kept and exploited for his own benefit or advantage. Instead, he had a mindset of service. He had a mindset of service. His whole thinking was, I'm going to serve mankind. I'm going to serve human, human, uh, the whole world through my sacrifice. The second thing here is says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. He had every right to stay comfortably where he was in a position of power on the throne in heaven. Listen, sometimes service can be uncomfortable at first. 
Service takes us out of our comfort zone sometimes at first. But the more that we serve, the more that we see the need, and the more that we will see that our love for service will drive us, the same as it did to, for Jesus, to a position of weakness for the sake of sinful mankind. 2 Corinthians 8 9, he says this, uh, Paul says this about Jesus. He says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Then he humbled himself. It's parallel to the phrase that he made himself of no reputation. And each one of these acts, his giving up, his, his not holding on to his equality with God, his emptying himself and taking the form of a slave, and his humility were all a part of the free exercise of his own will. Because so importantly is this last statement here, he became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He was submissive to the will of the Father, even while he was equal to the Father. Now, think about this. As Jesus comes to this appointed time, as God the Father begins to lay out for God the Son that it is time for him to go to the earth and take his place as the rightful servant and savior of all mankind. Jesus knows that at this particular time where he will be born, in the area where he will be born there in Palestine, he knows that there's a Roman occupation, and he knows that the greatest humiliation, the way that the Romans humiliate their subjects more than any, is to take them to a place and to crucify them openly in front of everyone. And he knows that if he goes to this earth, he knows that there will come a point in time where they will take him and they will treat him as the lowest form of life, someone who deserves absolutely no respect. They will hang him on a cross, they will crucify him, and they will humiliate him in front of a large Passover feast crowd in Jerusalem. Now it would have been very easy for Jesus to have said there at that point, no, no, I, I will stay here in this position of privilege, I will stay here in heaven, I will stay here on this throne, I will stay here and be worshipped, but that's not what he did. Instead, he said, I will go and I will gladly give myself as a substitute for the sins of mankind. And this morning, it is so important for us to remember that and to think about that and his attitude of service, of being obedient in service to the point of death, even to death on a cross, knowing that what he was about to face would be the most excruciating death that any man would ever face but yet he steps from a throne in heaven and is born into complete abject poverty into a stable in Bethlehem and he gladly walks this earth knowing that his, his ultimate end is to serve us by being our substitute on a cross. So this morning, as we think about ourselves and we think about our lives and we think about the opportunities that we have every single day of our life 
What opportunity will you have this week to serve mankind? What opportunity will you have this week to put someone else's interest in front of yours and ahead of you? And here's, here's, the, here's another part to think about there. If you can't automatically think of something, then I want you to pray for God to put you in situations and give you opportunities where you will. Some of you work in jobs where you automatically know that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to have the opportunity right off the bat to put somebody else in front of you. And somebody else who's probably not going to appreciate it, somebody else who, who may look at you like you're crazy for doing it, but God called us to do it anyway. And to show the love of Christ through service. Now what does that mean to me as a church member? There in the, third, in the end of the third chapter of this book is a statement of the third pledge. And it says this, I am a church member. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preferences or style. And I'm going to sign that here in my book. You have an opportunity there on your worship guide to sign it. And I'm going to read it. This is August 27th, 2017. And I'm going to commit and pledge to living by that so that through serving others, Jesus will be glorified, God will be glorified, and Jesus' example of humility and service will be put in front of other people. How will you serve this week? Who will you serve this week? Where will you serve this week? And will you pray for those opportunities for service? Now, we're talking about being a church member. Um, we'll take a break from this next week because it's a vacation weekend and we'll come back to it the week after. But here's the most important thought that I want you to have is this. Church membership is important. All through the New Testament, the Lord, the Lord gives us encouragement after encouragement to be a part of a local body and to be uh, fulfilled through that. But here's the first thing that we need to know and take care of. We need to know that as these seven children who went through the baptistry this morning have all been set down before they got here this morning and counseled by an adult. And those seven children were able to tell us, just like Jay Reed told us, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, I'm a Christian. And that's the most important thing for us this morning is to know for certain that we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Jesus, who, as I said earlier, left heaven, came to this earth, born of a virgin, walked his sinless life throughout, this life, throughout his time here, went to a cross because he was sinless, gave his life, broke his body, shed his blood, so that we someday would have the opportunity to repent of our sins, which means that we will turn from those sins ask for forgiveness of those sins, and know that we have an eternal home with Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. This morning, if you're here 
And you need to make that, you need to do that business with Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do today. We'll talk about church membership somewhere a little bit later after that. But this morning, if you're here, and that applies to you, and you know that you need to know Christ as your Savior, I want to give you this time during this invitation to, to take that opportunity and to come and to be shown through scriptures how to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and know that you have eternal life. Maybe you see the uh, example of these children this morning who came and who were so excited about baptism. Maybe you know that you have that relationship with Christ, but you've just never followed up with baptism or with church membership. This morning would be the perfect opportunity for either of those. But let's make a pledge this week to go and serve and give the example of Jesus. Would you stand as we sing? And Father, thank you for this time. I pray that we would use it wisely. And I pray that you would point us to Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that you would put opportunities in front of this congregation, in front of us as individuals. I pray to God that you would give us opportunities this week to show the love of Jesus through service. And Father, I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.